Okay, so there's hippos and zebras and seagulls. What are you talking about, Lily? You know, some of my favourite product-related terms. Hippos, the highest paid person's opinion, and zebra, zero evidence, but really arrogant. Oh, you mean zebras. Okay, yeah. And there's seagulls. Uh, Those are the execs that do the swoop and poop. Uh, You know, just do one more thing for me, please. And, you know, I learned a new term from today's guest, the reporting watermelon. Ah, yes. Are we going to tell people what that one means? Oh, God, no, I'm not telling. They need to listen. Well, that's not a chore because we have the wonderful Barry O'Reilly on this week. He has more jobs than I can shake a stick at, like author, consultant. Yeah, and professor and advisor and even podcast host. But he makes a very good guest as well. He came on this week to talk about the philosophy behind his book, Unlearn. And let's jump right into it. The product experience is part of the Mind the Product Network. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we improve our practice. Aside from conferences in London, San Francisco, Singapore, Hamburg, and Manchester, there's also free product tanks in more than 185 cities, and there's probably one near you. Find out about them on mindtheproduct.com, where you can also catch up on past episodes, videos from the conferences, read great articles, and learn about the training that we do. Barry, thank you so much for joining us on the Product Experience Podcast. It's really great to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So it'd be really good if you could give us a really quick kind of intro into your history and product and what you're up to these days. Yeah, so uh, my name is Barry O'Reilly. I'm a business advisor, entrepreneur and author. Uh, I primarily work around the intersection of business model innovation, product development, organizational design and culture transformation. So uh, in my advisory work, a lot of my clients are executives or leadership teams from Fortune 500 companies or sort of scaling up startups uh, here in San Francisco and and other areas. I've written uh, two books. The first one was Lean Enterprise, How High Performance Organizations Innovate at Scale. That was part of Eric Ries' Lean series. Uh, And most recently, I, I wrote another book called Unlearn, Let Go of Past Success to Achieve Extraordinary Results. And um, I'm also faculty at Singularity University uh, here in San Francisco. So I work a lot on their executive and global accelerator programs. And then I uh, sit on the board of Agile Craft, which was originally just acquired by Atlassian. And uh, Just Three Things, which is a a startup based in London, uh, focused on organizational alignment. Nice. I actually know the Just Three Things team. They're awesome. So that's fun. Yeah, that's <laughs> founded, awesome company. People should check them out. Cool. Um, and we were going to talk today about your book, Unlearn. So, you know, we often as product people talk about build, measure and learn. Where has Unlearn come from? Well, one of the interesting things, like when we wrote Lean Enterprise, you know, a lot of people had read Lean Startup and they were sort of like, we need to experiment, but we're not a startup. And Lean Enterprise was really much more focused around when you're a larger organization, what are the practices that you need to do to innovate from portfolio management to organizational design to growing the culture that you aim for through experimenting to find out what works well for you. 
Uh, and, you know, it was an amazing opportunity. I, I got to work with some of the most talented people I've ever met in my entire life. And the sort of aha moment for me was while teaching these people to learn new things was tough, what, what was even harder was to get them to unlearn their existing behavior, especially if it had made them successful in the past. So this was a real sort of aha moment for me is that, yes, we all need to learn, but it's not just about learning. We also have to recognize what our thinking or behavior has become outdated or obsolete, and we need to let go of it or to adapt. And, and, and that's really where unlearning sort of came for me. So what are, what are the principles of unlearning? How do you go about teaching this? Well, the way I think about it is uh, just like products have features and they have to continuously innovate features to stay relevant in your market, uh, people have behaviors. So if you're not continuously adapting your behavior to changing market technology situations or customer needs, the argument I always say is that it's not organizations that get disrupted. The, the truth is it's really individuals. Uh, individuals are the people who lead organizations. So really what people need to recognize is that they have to understand that at some times their existing behavior or thinking could be limiting the outcomes they're aiming for. Uh, and they really need a system to recognize when do I need to unlearn? How can I start to relearn and experiment with new behaviors to try and get the breakthroughs that I'm seeking? Uh, and, you know, and as I coached this more and more, I realized it was a system uh, and a virtuous system that the more people could recognize when to unlearn and then start to experiment with new behaviors and relearn to get breakthroughs in their performance or their behavior or thinking, uh, this, it led to extraordinary results. And, you know, it's been a pleasure working with leadership teams from International Airlines Group, uh, British Airways, NASA, McDonald's, uh, Capital One. There's so many of these amazing organizations that I've got a chance to work with and share examples and stories in the book uh, about how these leaders have recognized when they need to unlearn and, and the benefits that system has helped them. So Barry, what are the signs that you're using unlearn well rather than just getting lucky? It's very easy to get lucky sometimes, but uh, to attribute that to, to the right thing. So what was really interesting for me is that a lot, a lot of people feel like understanding when you need to adapt is serendipitous or it's intuitive to other people. I, you know, but really what I started to recognize is that there's a system that you can learn and therefore make it intentional and deliberate for other people. So there's the way I would frame it to you is how do you recognize you need to unlearn? So I'd, I'd ask your, both yourselves and maybe the listeners to sort of grab a post-it note and see what answer they come up to to these series of questions. Because when people ask me, how do I know I need to unlearn? I always say, I want you to think of a situation or, or a challenge that you're maybe facing right now. Uh, maybe there's somewhere where you're not living up to the expectations you have for yourself or you're not achieving the outcomes that you desire. Or maybe you're sort of struggling to resolve a certain situation or a challenge that you're just totally avoiding. Or maybe you've tried everything you can think of and you're still not getting the results you want. So when you think about answers to those questions, not living up to the expectations you have for yourself, not achieving the outcomes you want, 
situations you're struggling to evolve, to resolve or avoiding or tried everything you can think of. Does something pop into your mind? Well, it definitely does for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I struggle to find somebody who didn't have a, a reaction to, to this, especially in a world where so many of us have imposter syndrome. And um, yeah. Okay. Well, so Im- imposter syndrome could be an interesting challenge, right? Like uh, people ask that a lot. It's like, how do I present my, I struggle to present my ideas or I feel uncomfortable uh, putting my opinions out there or, you know, like the, and the, the, the short is everybody has problems, you know? And the whole point is if our existing behaviors were working, we wouldn't have problems because we'd be achieving all the outcomes that we want. You know, and what often happens is that people sort of get stuck, you know, like they, they stick to the sets of behaviors that they know and understand or feel comfortable to them. And when those behaviors aren't driving the results or the outcomes that they're aiming for, often people's natural reaction is to point at other people. You know, we would have been successful with the product launch if the engineering team had delivered on time. Or we would have had a, a, a greater success with that feature if we were able to deploy it uh, 10 times a day rather than once a month. You know, and, and this is sort of one of the, the challenges is if you're serious about making progress, you've really got to own uh, the results. You've got to say, what, what can I do differently to change the outcomes that I'm getting? And, and that often means that you're going to have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable or trying things that don't feel obvious to you. Um, and this is why one of the, the big steps I talk a lot about when you're trying to unlearn is you've got to think big about the aspiration or outcome that you're trying to achieve, but you start small as you start to relearn. And starting small creates safety. It makes it safe to fail. You get a fast feedback loop. You learn quickly, but also you feel successful that you're trying new behaviors to try and drive the outcomes that you want. Um, and this is sort of one of the patterns about thinking big, starting small and learning fast to try and get the breakthroughs that you're looking for in your performance. I can see doing that for myself on an individual basis. And I can see how somebody in a senior executive role can do that and create the safety for the large parts of the organization. But so many of the product people I know, we're in essentially middle management roles and we can try and create safety locally. But there's this wider environment that's going on that may not be especially safe, that not give us the permission to do this. How do we use this when we're famously people who have all the responsibility, but potentially none of the power? So I I think the most important thing anybody can do is be responsible for transforming themselves. You know, like when we work in these big companies, everyone's always worried that like, what impact can I have just as one individual? I'm, I'm inside this huge organization. There's so many different competing priorities and people pushing in different directions. Like, how can I change? And the simple thing is the thing you can do the most is role model the behavior that you believe is going to be most successful in the organization because you can affect that. And while people might feel like that's small, it actually can have a massive ripple effect across the organization. And, and I can give you countless examples of this. So, um, you know, one of the groups I work with, a really senior leadership team in, in an organization, and they were trying to get more effective with their time, right? And, and they would ask the question, you know, where, where do you spend most of your time? 
So for most people in uh, product roles, where, where do you think they spend most of their time? In meetings. Yeah, I was going to say the same. <laughs> right, excellent. And on a scale of one to 10, how effective do you think those meetings are? Oh, maybe a five. If you're lucky. <laughs> right? Right. If, if you're lucky. All right. So, th- so this is like a 50% success rate for uh, an implementation. If you're, if I was a product manager and I was only getting like 50% satisfaction rating with, with something, I'd, I'd want to change it. I'd be asking myself, how can I make that better? How can I make it a nine? How can I make it a 10? If we're really serious about improving, you know, and, and this is one of the challenges that lots of people face. And yet most people just blindly walk into meetings and conduct them the same way every single time. They don't make any changes. They, they, they just go, that's the way it's always been, you know? And so one of the things I, I, I have is I write little unlearning statements, right? Where I get leadership teams to describe a better outcome of, you know, if, I want to be more effective and I spend a lot of my times in meetings and they're totally ineffective. So what's one small thing I could do in every meeting to try and make it better? Um, and, you know, we, we sat down and I debated this with the leader and we came up with this simple step. So five minutes before the meeting would end, the leader would stop it and ask the team in the room, how effective do we think this meeting was? What outcomes are you taking away from this meeting? And then they'd sit there and, and basically shut up and go around the room and hear what people had to say. So how <laughs> do you think those sort of sessions initially went? Were people honest, though? Absolutely. Right. Well, and this is sort of the thing about starting to build it up, because when you start small in a small meeting with a small group of people Mm. and, you know, people start to realize that there's lots of different assumptions. My takeaway was that we're going to implement feature A. Someone else's takeaway was actually I thought we were going to implement feature B. Someone else's I I don't didn't think, think we made a decision on it. Like these questions never get asked sometimes. A lot of people just leave meetings because they're rushing from one thing to another. But, you know, you learn a huge amount about what's working. And by just asking these simple questions, like how could we make this more better next time? These sort of like small little changes compound and compound and compound over time. Now, now the other interesting thing is when a leader starts to demonstrate new behavior in meetings, like pausing five minutes before the end, and asking people how effective was the meeting, what do you think starts to happen? Improvement, hopefully. Well, also, they, those people, the other people in the meeting take it back to their own teams and it spreads. Right. And so this is sort of like the network effect about when you start to role model these behaviors in your organization, you can actually have a systemic impact because people see you're trying new things to improve. And that inspires them to say, well, if I want to be serious about improving, I need to start asking these questions about how effective am I spending my time or my investment? What's working? What's not working? How can we make it better? Do we even need to have these meetings? All these things start to bubble up. And, you know, so when people say that they, they can't influence, for me, that's, uh, that needs to be unlearned. You know, you can have a huge impact by just role modeling the behavior you're asking other people to do. And it can have a transformational impact across organizations. How much of what you've kind of experienced with um, the unlearn philosophy has been around behavior versus just looking at process or uh, frameworks that people are using and things like that? 
So like, you know, at the core of unlearning, I describe it as a process of, of letting go or reframing or moving away from once useful mindsets and acquired behaviors that were effective in the past, but now limit your success. So it's not forgetting or removing or discarding knowledge or experience. It's just a conscious act of letting go of outdated information and actively engaging in taking in new information to inform decision-making and action. So this is like, you have to think of this like your knowledge is like uh, RAM in a computer. At some points, you need to load certain parts of it when you're performing certain tasks. And at other stages, you need to take that out and replace it with something else. And I think what you see with like super high performance leaders is they recognize that when they're at an inflection point or when the behaviors they're using are not working, they will change. And you mentioned this idea of uh, Eric's build, measure, learn cycle, right? This idea of experimentation with product. So when your product is not driving the customer outcomes that you're aiming for, you start to try and tweak it. You try and change the product so it moves in the direction that you're aiming for. Um, Similarly with um, a process, you know, if you're trying to find a great way to onboard people into your organization and lots of people are joining and they still feel lost or not not working well, it's about thinking about all of these things with product thinking. You know, there's an outcome that you're aiming for. There's many options that you have to drive that outcome. And really what you want is a system to rapidly experiment with those options to see which ones are driving the outcomes that you want. And, and using those options rather than sort of just thinking that this is only a product thing or this is only a culture thing. You know, I think we really have to get better at recognizing that uh, all of this is just about good experimentation. And if you have good rigor about how you define success, come up with options to try and drive that success, recognize when things are moving in the right direction or not and adapt. That's really the crux of what we're trying to do in, in all aspects of our work. People and organizations are famously resistant to change. And if you don't see a reason to change, you're, you're not really going to. Uh, and a lot of people, especially the higher you go up in organizations, they have a bias towards, well, what I've been doing is work to get me here so far. What's the best time to introduce this, to, to start changing this? Is this one of those things of never waste a good crisis and start modeling and introducing the behavior then? Or can you do it more gradually uh, before when, when people don't even recognize that there's a problem yet? So being a senior executive in a large company is really difficult, right? The, the, the quality of information you get is often very, very poor. And yet most of the feedback mechanisms you have in your organization Mm -hmm. is often telling you that your existing behavior is working. So you're getting promoted. You know, you, you, the reports that people are sending up to the organization all look like you have a beautiful green dashboard and everything's going great and the company's growing. And why would I change? All my feedback mechanisms are telling me I'm doing the right thing. You know, and, and this is a huge challenge when I, start working with companies. I, I joke and call it, you know, when I when I go in and ask to see their reports and their portfolio dashboards, and I just <laughs> see a sea of green, all, all projects going well, I'm like, this is all watermelon reporting, right? It's green on the outside, but we know it's red in the middle. And the, the thing is, if, if you're giving executives poor information and, and, and they're making good decisions with bad information, you're not going to get the results you want. 
and and that just creates a painful situation for everybody. So it's a two way street here of teams actually being sharing the correct information and leaders responding to that in a way that encourages people to keep sharing the correct information. So you're making good decisions based on real data and you have a higher chance of success. So that's one point I'd really like all the listeners to sort of have empathy for leadership, but also recognize their part in bringing uh, the correct information to people to make better decisions with. And in terms of like the incentive of trying to get people to change their behavior, this is one of the reasons why thinking big and starting small is so important. Like I often say like the, the worst time to try and change is when you're in a crisis because you, you have a do or die type scenario and you've never practiced how to adapt your behavior. You know, if you, if you think about uh, great athletes or, or, or great leaders is they're constantly building muscle and practicing ways about how they can experiment with the way the company works or the way that they behave. You know, like so many of my favorite leaders that I work with are just great experimenters and, and very curious. So one example is like the COO of, of HSBC. What he, what he used to do was when the graduates came into the company every year, he would go and sit with them and say to them, here's some of the challenges I'm working on. How would you try to solve these? And he would sit there and watch how graduates would try and use different tools, new techniques, new technologies to try and tackle like these really difficult problems that he's facing. And, and that gave him a real great chance to learn and what's new and unlearn some of the existing notions he had. You know, it, it also has this amazing cultural reference for the company. So you can imagine these big bureaucratic organizations if some of the most senior people are willing to sit down with the most junior people and ask them how to solve problems they're working on. It transcends this huge sort of cultural artifact for the company, which is super, super powerful. Mm. You know, all the best leaders I've worked with are the ones who aren't afraid to be vulnerable, to who are able to put themselves out there and say, I know I need to continuously adapt. I, I'm not going to believe I have it all figured out and I'm going to need your help to get there. And another example might be, uh, so I worked with International Airlines Group. So they own British Airways, Iberian, Velling, Aer Lingus. They're the, they're the sixth largest airline group in the world. Now, they recognize that their approach to innovation, especially for leadership innovation, was struggling. They were using like the classic send people on a two-day training course, expect them to come back with massive behavior change, right? So you've all been on a two-day training course and massively changed your behavior, right? <laughs> of course uh, I have. Yeah. <laughs> and yet this is what we do with certification programs in our industry, right? Like even the way we teach people how to learn needs to be unlearned. So, you know, they, they recognize that that's not an effective method to drive the outcomes that they want, but they were bold enough to say, well, we need to do something different. So I have a business called Exec Camp where I get executives to leave their business with the goal of launching new businesses to disrupt their existing organization. And as a part of that process, essentially disrupt themselves. So we took six of the most senior executive team out of IAG for eight weeks with the goal to try and launch six new ideas to disrupt the airline industry and themselves. And when I'd say to people like, you know, you can get like the CTO of British Airways like to leave the company for eight weeks, like that's insane. But you know what, what I applaud about these organizations is 
they know insane is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, like putting people in two day training courses and expecting it's going to change their behavior. So it's odd. You're pushing up against all these, the existing norms of society that says you're wrong. You shouldn't do it that way. Uh, You know, so uh, this is where I applaud like true sort of owning the problem and getting uncomfortable about it. And you know, like that, that program was amazing. We launched the first ever blockchain identity management system for the airline. We built uh, analytics processing platforms that could turn their customer data requests and problems in seconds. You know, and but we also came up with more ideas that we couldn't work on. And that inspired British Airways to say, well, why don't we open up all of our APIs and make them available for startups to start building products and services on top of our assets and leverage them in ways that we can't even imagine. Um, And that spun on into the first ever venture capital firm in the airline industry called Hangar 51. So now um, International Airlines Group has run three or four versions of this program where they have startups using leveraging all their assets in ways that they could never have imagined to build new products and services and broken up this whole new ecosystem of innovation and startups that they work with, as well as delivering innovative programs internally. Because the leaders who have been part of that program have gone back into the company and they're coaching other people how to unlearn, how to do product development and innovation better. Um, and if you, you know, you have to look at their results over the last two years of how they've ter- started to turn a profit and now really starting to power ahead relative to the other airline companies. And I think a lot of that is just they were bold enough and brave enough to sort of take a different path when, when everyone said, don't do that. And I mm. think. That's the power of, of these sorts of things when companies really commit to getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, but making it safe. And on that on that point of kind of being bold and brave to take a different path, do you think that this way of working or um, of unlearning and then learning, do you think this has to come from the leadership team within a company? Because, you know, it might be that, that the behavior change that you're trying to to emulate or encourage or do yourself is then seen as insane and, um, you know, unpredictable, I guess, um, in an organization which is like, no, this is the way we do it and this is the way we've always done it. You know, it was always interesting to me. Um, I remember when I joined ThoughtWorks um, maybe 10 years ago, uh, Martin Fowler, who was one of the leaders in the Agile community, was worked there and that's what inspired me to want to work there. And I remember uh, meeting Martin and one of the first things he always said was, you know, you, you got to change your company or you got to change your company. <laughs> and I, and I love that <laughs> because, you know, leadership obviously have a, a, a bias effect in organizations, right? They're, they're the most senior people in the company. They have the most influence on the whole system of the company. So, by definition, when they start to change their behavior, when they start to be work in a different way, role model new behaviors, that creates agency for more people to really go for it. You know, like I, I was working with um, a really well-known banking company in London. They were going through a transformation. And one of the things that was most interesting for me is everybody would come up to me and say, you know what the most interesting part of this is? Uh, the CEO, his name is Chris. Chris is the person who's actually going for it the most, who's trying to be the most outlandish to get there. And that was a, that created this huge agency. 
uh, for them, which I thought, thought was really, really interesting. Now, what does that mean for people who aren't the CEO in the company? Well, look, you've got to think big about the change you want to see in the company and, and you're going to start small. It, it's going to be you trying to show these new behaviors. But by starting small, again, it allows you to try lots of little things to see what works in the context that you're in. And it makes it safe to fail. You know, you can try a different thing at the end of the meeting. Ask people what, how effective was this meeting, yes or no. Maybe ask people, maybe on the next user story, why don't we try and write it as a hypothesis statement rather than a user story? So maybe we can test it better. You know, maybe instead of at the end of the iteration and showcasing it off to our stakeholder, why don't we invite some customers in and to showcase it to some customers at the end of the week? Like these are all small, tiny little changes that what's the worst that can happen? Somebody says no. And and if these things start to work, then people see the value of these tactics and it starts to buy them in to say, yeah, well, we, maybe we should get customers into the office more often. You know, maybe maybe we should have the customers sign the product off instead of waiting for some manager to sign it off. You know, and they're very, very powerful statements. So, you know, I guess the thing I would always ask the listeners to sort of take to heart is you have way more influence than you realize it's just, do you want to take the sort of uh, uncomfortable step of trying things? And, you know, by definition, the more you try, the more things are going to fail and some things will work. And that's why starting small and iterating quickly, just like you do with product development by testing new features with prototypes or bringing them into the market with a small subsection of your uh, customers or, you know, there's, there's strategies that product managers know how to manage risk when you're trying to experiment and you can apply that to your product, to yourself and to the processes in your, in your company. So, you know, don't, don't fear it. You should embrace it and, and you should be coaching other people how to do it. And is there, is there a time where you've seen too much change and kind of going too far down this route of experimenting and trying to do too many things at, at once? Do you know, do you, is there a, sweet spot of you know try one new thing a week or something like that so the key principles of of uh, lean thinking which obviously inspired eric's build measure learn uh, loop is that you work in small batches um, and then you limit work in progress right and and this is a real important part of experimentation that people probably get wrong you know when they hear experimentation they're like yeah let's go change 50 things all at the same time and then something breaks how do you correlate what caused the break? Uh, so this this idea of like making limiting the amount of experiments or changes that you have in progress at any one time means that as you're turning the dials, you can sort of see the effect of that change. And if you have too much change happening, it's very difficult to correlate what what led to success and what led in the direction you didn't want to go or unintended consequences. So uh, as you're saying, Lily, your example of maybe if you're going to start, yeah, start small. Let's just change one thing uh, a week. Let's, you know, sit down as a team and go, what's the one thing if we if we changed it this week that we think would have an impact? Let's do it for a week. Let's see how we go and reevaluate and try the next thing. And, you know, what, what I've learned is that when teams build this muscle um, with, of, to be able to continuously adapt, you know, that makes them undefeatable because they're, they're able to adapt to changing circumstances, which 
will always happen with new technology innovations, new customer needs, just the changes in the markets that we operate within. And really the best skill to have is some sort of adaptability quotient rather than just be great at one uh, behavior or one set of skills or fix yourself. Really, you should be able to adapt. And and that's the most powerful thing when you're in a situation of high uncertainty. So, Barry, this has been absolutely fantastic. But I have to ask, was there something that happened to you at the beginning of this process that made you say, uh, what I'm doing isn't working and I need to change my approach? Is that what led to the, the unlearned breakthrough for you? Well, you know, I, I have uh, what I call unlearning moments all the time, you know, and and the way I, I, I identify them is I, I've got good at describing what success or what are the outcomes I'm really aiming for. So a simple example was, um, you know, when I was writing on Learn itself, you know, my, my typical notion about how you had to write a book is you had to sit at a desk and you had to ha- have a roaring fire and a purple velvet jacket on and typing at the keys and <laughs> You know, being this amazing uh, author person, you know, and and nothing could be further from the truth. Like I was sitting there, like staring at a screen, you know, for days and and getting like three sentences out, you know. So and and I was sort of like caught in this notion. I was like, well, why can't I write? What's wrong with me? Maybe I'm not a writer. No, maybe I suck. Maybe I'll never be able to write a book. And I started sort of reflecting a bit to say, well, you know, what's what's the outcome here I'm aiming for? And, and really what I was trying to do was create content. And there's many ways to create content. It's not, you don't just have to type. You can talk. You can, you know, and all of these things started to come into my mind. And I realized that actually my better way for me to create content was actually to talk. So what I started to do was create like many little uh, keynotes of each chapter. And what I would do is I would just turn on um, uh, audio and record it. And I would just record myself talking through what the chapter would be about. And then I would ship the audio file to a transcription service and they and they'd automate that and send it back to me pretty quickly. And then suddenly I had like a minimum viable chapter where it was just my initial thoughts and I'd start rereading the chapter and, and then I, I was suddenly in an iteration process. Which um you know, so that gave me this huge breakthrough that I you know, if I wanted to write a book, I didn't have to type it. I could just talk it. And then that would quickly create, um, an, you know, my uh, early versions of the chapter that I could start to iterate and get feedback from other people on and, and start to build out that product. So, you know, I, I think there's unlearning moments happen for me like all the time. And it's just recognizing like what are the outcomes that I'm aiming for? What are, are the existing behaviors that are working or not for me? And, and what can I do to try and experiment or adapt to get the breakthroughs I'm aiming for? I think the first experiment should have been just changing the color of the smoking jacket. I mean, who wears purple, really? I've always wanted to have a purple crushed velvet one. You know, it's just, I was too proud of it. <laughs> I'm never going to picture you with that one. I think the next book that has to be the author photo. I'll make sure it is. <laughs> Barry, fantastic. Thank you so much for everything today. This has been a really great conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. And again, looking forward to hear people's uh, various different unlearning experiments and just write hashtag unlearn uh, and I'll find it and keep in touch. Awesome. Thanks, Barry.
Okay. Um, so be inspired, but don't go changing and unlearning everything tomorrow. <laughs> that could be very problematic. <laughs> but Randy, what are we going to unlearn on the podcast? Hmm. Maybe about how we write our outros? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. See you all next week. <laughs> The product experience is part of the Mind the Product Network. Our hosts are me, that's Lily Smith, and Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Emily is ours alone, but we're happy to share Luke if you need someone to edit your own podcast. Hey, you can't share him too much. He's my husband. <laughs> <laughs> our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg and plays bass in the band for letting us use the music. And sign up for your local Product Tank, a regular meetup in over 185 cities worldwide. There's probably one someone near you. And if there's not, you can start one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com slash product tank. Here's Global Coordinator Mark Abraham to tell you more about it. Product Tank is a global community of meetups in over 155 cities across the world, driven by and for product managers. Whether you have a group discussion or you're listening to speakers, the whole idea is to create a safe environment for product people to come together and to share their learnings and tips.